Today's episode, today's pilot, is titled The Craft of Trying. And you would have heard a gong sound just as I was speaking because I accidentally knocked my water bottle up against the source. So you know exactly how professional we are here at Badgered. The Craft of Trying is my attempt to, in its purest form, capture my personal creative writing process for the benefit of other people who would like to also do creative writing in its various and myriad forms. The framing device that I'm going to use for this episode of the podcast, for the craft of trying, is I would like to, me, Bilal, submit a piece of writing to a non-fiction prize. And basically what I'm going to do is use this episode as an excuse to motivate me to create an idea for this prize. And it's also me using Kevin as my editor slash workshop extraordinaire to refine this idea for me and basically do all the hard labor so that I can then take the idea that we create from this episode of the podcast and do a piece of writing that I'm going to submit to this prize. And when I eventually win... <laughs> well, you're screwed if you're looking to me to win. I know, I know. I'm going to just say win because like, imagine how cool it would be if we're recording this and then like I submit and then I actually win and then I can go cool. back and say I was confident the whole time. And if I don't win, it just sounds super, super arrogant, yep. which is like, you know, that's why. We pretend we never recorded this episode. Yeah, I can just like go back and edit this part out. For the prize, the prize's title is the Liminal and Pantera Press Nonfiction Prize. 2021. 2021. Hyphen 2021. Um, they run, Liminal runs this prize yearly annually as far as I know but it's not always non-fiction and the last time they ran the prize it was fiction mm. but this is non-fiction but I think it still kind of applies to creative writing and that's what we're going to be talking about today I have until the first of July and um, as of us recording this I'm already um, I'm just under a month behind it's plenty of time plenty of time um, the theme for this prize is archive mm. and as with all these online prizes and we can talk a little bit about this I'm not sure how much of the listeners will be interested in it but I find similarities between a whole bunch of these different prizes that you can submit to and often it's that they give you a theme and they say this is the theme for the piece of writing we're asking for Although you can take the theme as vaguely as you like. Mm. You don't have to stick to it stringently. And they, they often say that uh, they v value good writing and they also value writing that sticks to the theme. And the writing that they value the most is good writing that sticks to the theme. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what we're shooting towards. And the theme is archive. So I went through, and this is probably good anytime someone is doing one of these uh, applications, my process is the first thing I do is I read what they've got on the actual notice for the publication, for what they're asking for. And I read the notes and just made my own kind of dot points off of what they were asking for when they talked about archive. And they're essentially looking for writing that troubles institutional accounts of history, mm. which is a lot to unpack. But basically, it's kind of writing that could possibly consider the politics of what personal or that phrase personal means and it's essentially what are the things that we as human beings and as writers that we choose to remember 
What do we choose to memorialize and what do we choose to forget, either consciously or subconsciously? And how does where we come from connect to where we are headed? I have never done any research about if I'm allowed to have these conversations about like literary prizes. I don't know if I'm allowed to coach people through it. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about my process with it. I have no idea. So Pantera Press, if you're like angry at me for doing this podcast, please just email me and let me know. Because honestly, it wasn't on purpose because I feel like with the literary industry, it feels impenetrable sometimes. Like I feel like I make everything up as I go along. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about this prize. I'm going to talk about me thinking about submitting to this prize. I know lots of people personally who are thinking of doing this and I wish you all the best of luck. Um, I feel like it's such an exciting opportunity and this is kind of my process for it. So hopefully it helps you guys out as well. Maximum 4,000 words, which is the one of the longest essays I ever wrote when I was at uni. Mm. So it is, uh, I've written a piece of writing that, that that's that long before. How many pages are we looking at here? Uh, 4,000 words is, well, if we have like, was that 15, 15 pages on a document? Um, but the minimum is 1,600 words, Yeah, which is heaps less. And on this very podcast, we've created pieces of writing that are 1,600 words long. I think uh, from the window, our first yeah, pilot yeah. was, at least the first draft was around that longer than we cut it down yeah. a bit. So it's sizable, 16,000 words. And the trickiest part, this last point that I added before I get Kevin's thoughts on everything we're talking about so far is um, it's kind of focused on real experiences of real people. And the prize is trying to advance truth telling in its many forms. So what's the truth behind when you write an essay versus a memoir versus journalism, philosophy, a biography, like what is the truth in all those different text types? And how do you use that to kind of advance your personal storytelling? All right, Kevin, what do you think about all this that we're talking about so far? That's way over my head, way over my pay grade. All right, I'm so glad you said that because, dude, I feel the same way. I'm like looking at this prize and I'm like, I seriously don't understand what you're asking for. It feels so uh, inaccessible. Like the theme of archive, even in itself, I'm like, all right, break that down for me. What do you want me to write about? And then they're talking about like, different versions of history and people's perspectives i'm like i think i'm kind of following mm, along yeah. but then all that stuff about like the politics of the personal and that's taken straight from their website i'm like i i honestly i don't know what that means and i don't know if that just makes me like not a good writer but i think that's not the case like mm. i think a lot of people will feel that way and we identify as writers and as authors by feeling like we're part of a community and this makes me feel the opposite do you think this is intentional i don't think so I don't think that the person who's writing or the, the group of people who are creating this prize are trying to make it inaccessible. Um, I think they're actually doing the opposite. I think the fact that they're opening this up to, um, to people to submit pieces of writing to, the whole reason this prize exists is because they're trying to advance the art form. But at the same time, it's so inaccessible, I feel, that even when someone is actively trying to make it a place that welcomes new writers, I still feel like, I have no idea what you want. And maybe I'm approaching it too much from a perspective of someone who works with high school students. Mm. Where I'm like, how would my 17, 16 year old students deal with this brief? Um, but I also personally struggle with it. At the same time, I think there's bits and pieces in here that are really, really interesting, especially this idea of how does where we come from connect to where we are headed. And in a bit, 
I'm going to chat through three vague ideas that I had for what this uh, piece of writing that I would like to submit could be. And it's kind of around this central theme. How do you, how else do you feel about it? What else are you thinking about this brief so far, Kev? Um, just that it's confusing on some parts. Perhaps because it's been, it's been a very long day. Um, but I mean, I'm just quickly scrolling through that, through this. Yeah, I don't know, something about the politics of the personal, something about that, it seems like, it seems slightly pretentious, mm. it comes across. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and perhaps what you're saying before, perhaps it's not intentional, but I do think the, the person or group of people who have uh, created this uh, prize, this competition, most likely have very different lived experiences. Yep to maybe who they are intending this prize to be for. Yep. Um, I think you might have the intention of trying to have a prize open to everyone that, that anyone should feel comfortable to submit, but without taking the time to really look at, at the best way to approach this, you get something like this, which I feel like for me anyway, it goes over my head as I yeah, said before. Yeah, I feel like there's there's definitely terminology in here that I find hard to uh, decrypt. Mm. And it's interesting when you read the terms and conditions of the prize, they're, they're saying that, that their very first dot point is that an entrant must identify as a First Nations person or a person of color. Mm. And they have to be a resident of Australia. And liminal in itself, the publication is like, think about the name, liminal means on the edges which essentially is encapsulating being a minority or coming from a minority perspective and keeping that in mind, but then also creating the prize and the wording around the prize in a way that I feel like discludes people from those backgrounds and from those areas is at odds. And I really, really don't think this is Pantera's fault. And I want to make that so incredibly clear because I feel like it's, it's not an issue with this specific prize it's every single time i read a submission process i'm like i have no idea what you're asking for and i feel like i'm just sharing writing out into the ether and i'd be super super curious to see if anyone else feels this way but that's kind of the headspace i'm in going into this yeah all right last point i'll touch on for the submission itself just so that we can keep in mind when we're thinking about what i would like to create to hopefully submit to this is how they're judging the piece of writing so this is non-fiction and their four criteria for how they're deciding who the winners of this prize are is number one, quality of expression. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. Does that mean like you're expressing yourself well? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, second one, veracity and authority. I'm feeling like veracity means truthfulness or correctness. And authority means, are you speaking from a perspective that's your own? And I feel like this, this one is a weird point for me because like, how do you, how do you even begin to mm. judge that? Yeah. Right? And maybe it's like when you, when you submit it, maybe they have something like, give me a statement. And I think they do. They have like an intending statement about who you are as a writer. Mm. That kind of, that's how they judge it against. Okay. Like, are they looking at, because for me, I can only speak from my perspective. If I'm going to do a piece of writing, then do I have to go also... I'm speaking with veracity and authority about being a Muslim Arab man because I am a Muslim Arab man. And you just take my word for it because I am. Yeah. You know? And I don't know, on, I don't know the, the intentions of the people creating this, of this competition, of this prize. I have found 
and Bilal, maybe I don't know if, if you, you've shared similar experiences as well, that there are oftentimes um, situations in which certain uh, organizations, let's say, feel like they, they and I th- actually I think you've, you've touched on this before, that that they are willing to to give you a platform or a voice only if you're willing to talk about a particular subject mm. because of your own own background. Yeah. Um, like you you um, you can write you can you will have a platform. Uh, you'll be given a platform by us if you talk about your uh, cultural background yep. of your religious beliefs of where you are from. And in some cases, I feel like it's important that there are platforms for artists or for individuals to do that. But it becomes a problem when that is the only thing yep. that individuals are allowed to talk about. Like yep. I think it, it's great that that I have an op- that uh, I'm given opportunities to talk about my I don't know my experiences as a second generation Vietnamese person. Yeah. Right. But what if I want to write about vampires or, yep. or werewolves yeah, or exactly. fantasy stuff? I probably would not be given the same opportunities to talk about that stuff yep. as opposed to my my. Uh, heritage or whatever yep. if that makes sense and like I, I can't tell whether or not that's what's happening here with this prize of course because I do feel like it's it's vague enough that you can approach it from any perspective you're looking mm. for but obviously this is a non-fiction prize obviously they're saying they're looking specifically for First Nations writers and writers of colour so then if you're writing about your real experience and you're coming from those backgrounds, then that's essentially what you're going to be writing about because you're writing about your experience. But nowhere in here does it say, write your story about experience racism or write your story about like not feeling like you belong in Australia. That is true. Which is, I think, totally to this prize's credit, which is why I'm giving it the time to discuss today on mm-hmm. our podcast, which is why I feel like it's worth exploring because if that was the case, I wouldn't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Because then it would be totally fitting into that box that you're talking about where like the only places I can share my writing is when it's I'm talking about like my horrible experience as like a Muslim man. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so at least at face value so far, I feel like we're in a good place to talk more about potentially submitting to this piece. Um, submitting to this competition. At the same time, this whole conversation that we just had, I had to figure this out over like four or five or six years as a writer like navigating these fears of what is this competition asking me to do and what are the politics involved around the story that i'm sharing like it's all so difficult to understand and i'm don't ever feel like an expert about it but i wanted to at least touch on it as a backdrop to the things i'm thinking about when it comes to this okay so all that in mind my first idea for what to write about is racism (laughs) (laughs) of course Um, this came about because I sat through a training recently that was talking about, uh, racism and how to not be racist. Uh, and there was a huge portion of it that discussed microaggressions. And since then, everyone I sat in the training with, we've been discussing like, what is a microaggression and how would you define it? And what are examples of it? And how is it different than like, an aggression aggression and is that even a thing like all of that being super super confusing so my first idea if i was to do a non-fiction piece of writing between 1600 to 4000 words 
is I would try to explain from my personal perspective what microaggressions are and how with the theme of archiving, how I might catalog them in my brain. Mm. How me as a person, I kind of view these things and observe these things and I sort of like shelve them in my mind and I use them as, as I don't know, ways that I navigate the world or ways that I understand who I am or how I operate in the world. And it would be a very personal account of me witnessing things and then using that to form my understanding of the way that we navigate conversations around race. Mm. I don't even know if I feel comfortable talking about that though. Like there's so much in there where I kind of go, one, I don't feel like an expert and two, I don't want to commodify my hurt to have to talk about it. You know, like what's, I don't want to have to write about like these horrible things that I feel like I might've experienced just because I want to create a piece of writing about it because I think it'll be attractive. But then again, there's a lot in there that is an informative opportunity for potential audiences. And I do very much think it fits the brief. So what do you think about this first idea? Ooh, let's get into it. Well, where would you start? That's a great question. It's such a, and it's often when we talk to our students as well, that the idea of being specific when you're talking about very broad uh, ideas or or concepts. And what I would ask you is, would, how, how do you imagine What's your, I guess, what's your anchor for, for this piece? Would you be kind of, is it more so like uh, vignettes of your experiences in, interspersed with, you know, I don't know, your explanations of what's going on from your perspective? Is it supposed to be a more, more of a uh, kind of, is outsiders the, the right word? More of, co- of kind of like separating yourself and very much looking at this as an as a analytical piece or like how yeah. do you imagine this this piece of writing uh taking form all right can i give my pitch of how i would do this yeah please all right for context for everyone listening in our show notes there's three topics that i wanted to touch on for each of these ideas that i wanted to talk about and the first one is texts which basically means what text do i feel like could inspire this piece of writing second one is perspective what perspective am i exploring this from and third one is weird factor like what strange, unique thing are you going to do with this that makes it different, that makes it worthwhile, that makes it something that you would submit to a prize and be like, this is worth $10,000, which is what the first prize prize is for the liminal prize. Mm. Um, the way I would do this, the only way I feel comfortable talking about microaggressions is with an extended analogy. Yeah. And instead of, it, I think it allows me to do that, that um, specificity that we talk about with our students all the time without having to go, on the 16th of June in 2019, this person said some like racist stuff to me. Um, so the way I would do it is with an extended analogy. Um, so you're going to have to bear with me on this one. The text that would inspire this is a text that we almost use in the class once. And it's John Mulaney <laughs> talking about a horse in a hospital. And I'm going to add a link to that video, that YouTube clip in the show notes for anyone who wants to see it. Um, because that is what inspired this idea for me. And, and without ruining it, hopefully, essentially what he does is he talks about the presidency of Donald Trump and he compares it to a horse being loose in a hospital. And it touches on um, kind of Trump's Twitter politics and 
but how he is in interviews and how he is with foreign relations or by describing the way that a horse operates in a, hosp- in a hospital. Um, not like physically operates, but like how they, how they are, how they kind of interact with a hospital setting. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite stand-up clips of recent memory. So the way that I would do this microaggression thing is, this is touching on the weird factor. Do you know that feeling you get, and there might actually be a name for this, but that feeling you get where, let's say you buy a car or someone you know buys a car. And then for the next like month or two months or pretty much forever, you start, a, you start to notice that car everywhere. Mm. Like if I was to buy a Suzuki Swift, I would be like, wow, another Swift, a Suzuki Swift. Look, everyone has a Suzuki Swift. My cousin has one. There's one parked across the road. Because this thing has entered your sphere and your perspective, mm. you now see it everywhere. So the way that I would explore this is from that perspective is I would choose something like it would still be nonfiction, but I would explain how like maybe I've bought something new or maybe I found something new or maybe I've experienced something new from this perspective, this perspective of me, Bilal, the writer. And now I am starting to notice this everywhere. Mm. Um, One example that I had for it is it's to do with COVID and recently, so I live near Westmead uh, Hospital. And what Westmead does is when you are visiting the hospital, they take your temperature, like a lot of places do, especially like hospitals. And if your temperature is under the amount that they want it to be, they give you a sticker. Mm. And in the last like six months or so, those stickers have started to show up everywhere around Parramatta. Mm. And mostly around like my apartment complex and the elevators, but even the park, the park bench, the swings, like those stickers are everywhere. And I feel like for me, the connection is like those stickers or the description of those stickers are like microaggressions. Mm. Like they are, I'm starting to notice them everywhere. And they're these tiny minuscule things, but they represent something larger. Yeah. And the thing that the stickers represent is COVID. Whereas like in my story, it's microaggressions and racism. So that's the kind of vague idea I had with it. Thoughts? I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think approaching a different way, especially just using an extended metaphor or analogy, I think would be interesting to see how you'd approach that. Yeah. I think like the hardest thing with that one is I think it's a really tough ask of a writer. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to find that right balance of like, it's, it's um, biting enough and insightful enough to be like, this is something that is a, a powerful exploration of what microaggressions and racism can be yeah. without me commodifying hurt and commodifying like racial trauma yeah and i think the the way you pitched it it sounded like it almost sounded like it would be like a kind of comedic take on it as well in a sense Mm. um where i guess if that's something you wanted to approach i guess that's like a a, a layer of separation there yep um to kind of put some distance um and also because it was just killing me the beta meinhof phenomenon is what it's called when you begin noticing um you begin noticing certain things depending on, on whatever that situation is, whether that's you bought a car and you keep seeing the car, you, you see starting hospital stickers everywhere. But yeah, anyway. All right. Perfect. Um, this is going to be useful for me later when I'm like desperately trying to write this and I'm just listening to this podcast. I'll be like, that was the idea. Um, something I hadn't thought about is if I'm talking about these ideas and then I'm posting this podcast in like a week or two and then are other people going to listen to this and then steal my ideas? Hey, look. 
if 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 it means uh, someone has attempted the art of writing, isn't that what it's exactly. about now? Exactly. Although, if you win the ten thousand dollars, you owe me a gozleme. I'm that's saying like, this now. That's like zero point zero zero one percent. Yes. All right. That's a that's an honest to god fee. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, that is my finder's fee for that idea. I've got two more that I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> the one I just shared with you was the most fleshed out one, and these. <laughs> Yeah, and these other two, because you know how busy we've been these last few weeks, these other two I wrote 10 minutes ago, and I had never thought about them prior to 10 minutes ago. Mm. Uh, but this is why this podcast is good, because it lets me really push myself to try to write more. Yeah. So this next idea is a conversation that we've had before, but I had never considered it for a piece of writing. Yeah. Basically, all I wrote in the Google Doc was better parents than our parents which i love uh, which is extremely at least for me anyway extremely relatable yeah and something I, I think we've i don't know if it's an in-depth conversation is correct but i think it's something that you and i do do share i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that idea of like reminiscing over how we're raised and then reflecting on if we were to have children right and we raised our children the exact way that we were raised, considering, you know, changed contexts of, of time and place and all those sorts of things. Would we be happy with that? Am I like, this is the perfect example of how to raise a child? And the answer that like both of us came up with together was like, no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. not. That's just not how that's supposed to happen. Um, because you learn things with your parents they grow through the act of raising you and you ideally should learn from those experiences and become even better. And this is a conversation I've had with my mum before, mm. which is kind of talking about the different generations in our family for real, maybe not like to this extent, <laughs> but she totally was talking about how it is expected that the children will be better than the parents. That is the goal. So if that's the case, doesn't that mean that the children will be better parents than their parents? And that's something that I think is interesting to explore in this text. How this relates to archive, I have no idea. I think like, is it enough to vaguely have it be like you as someone who's being raised by a parent catalog the experiences in your mind and you use those memories to then create a new set of memories and experiences with your own children. That was exactly like my first thought as well. The idea of these experiences being archived within our own subconscious and to mm. what extent, to what extent do they play a role? And I think the interesting thing is like one approach could be because again it's such like for this topic that we've talked about personally in our own time it can be said like where again where would you begin right and i kind of like this idea of of it, that it might not necessarily be the whole theme of the piece but just as a device of some sort the idea of of a paradox right where we know we are the way we are because of our lived experiences right and if we did not have those experiences, we're not, we would not be the people that we are. Yeah. So then why would, not, why would we not want to treat our children in the same way if we, don't, if we want them to become the well-rounded people that we are, but we know how much damage it does us. And then this whole back and forth, yeah. I feel like is extremely interesting. And it, it kind of relates to that point from the brief from Liminal and Pantera where they say, or they ask the question, how does where we come from connect to where we are headed? Mm. And this, this idea, I think specifically, works towards that connection really, really well. Yeah. That idea of like everything we have learned as children is informing and connecting the relationship we will have with our own progeny. Is that the word? Mm. Yeah, our own children. 
Um, my my thing, obviously, because I just wrote this one down, I kind of don't have a related text for this, like something that I feel like could be a mentor text to help inspire this one. Yeah. Um, and obviously, when we're talking about text, I'm using the nerdy English teacher definition of it could be something written, recorded, performed, uh, an artwork, whatever we feel like could inform this. Do you have any ideas about like, it could be vaguely about parenting or this idea of um, if we change who we are, does that then kind of change the decisions we're able to make? Like, do you have a text for this? I don't, I don't know why this movie just popped up. Have you ever watched um, Bend It Like Beckham? Yes. I don't know, that movie just popped in. I mean, it's somewhat tangentially related, I guess. Uh, can you talk uh, me through your idea as to why? Uh, um, so... As to, I don't know why it's just I can't explain why but maybe as a as a um, uh, a recap no as just uh, context for mm-hmm. our, our listeners Bennett like Beckham uh, is a story of a young uh, South Asian woman living in England who wants to be a soccer player but her parents um, do not want her to um, and then it, there, there is some uh, exploration of between this relationship between the girl and her parents and what is expected of her um because of of i guess her her background in this uh particular cultural family i guess um but yeah I don't, that that movie just literally just randomly popped up i don't know why yeah i think you mentioning that then makes me think of all the different texts that i've read where we get to see how parents are parents mm. and i've got now from you saying that two examples that I want to talk about and one I don't remember what it's about at all because I studied it at uni and the other one I'll touch on in a sec um, so The Blackwater Lightship by Colm Tobin I think he might be an Irish novelist and it was the first text I ever studied at uni and it made no sense to me mm. but what I do remember from class was that it was an exploration of how parents are through different generations and how like um, their, their experiences as children then inform the way they are with their children. And it's essentially like a piece of literature. Like we discussed why we think it might be literature versus just like a commercial book. And that implies that it's a good text. So maybe that's something that I could look into and I might still have it somewhere from when I studied at uni. So that's something that I could touch on. Um, another one that just I've been reminded of is Ladybird, directed by um, oh, yeah. Greta Gerwig, mm-hmm. which I watched, I think, sometime last year for the first time. And it's a coming-of-age story, but I think that the relation depicted in that film between the protagonist and her mother was like, just kind of hit me mm. as well. And then I think the last one for me that I wanted to mention, mostly so I can remember it when I'm writing, is... Uh, Bridge of Clay mm. by Marcus Zusak. So it's his latest novel. It's the one he wrote after The Book Thief. And it's a really interesting exploration of uh, familial relationships and um, if there's a death in a family, how kind of parents navigate that and the effect it has on children. And I think the limitation of that is we don't really get to see any of the children in that family be parents themselves. Yeah. But they do end up being caretakers of each other in a really interesting way and there's such a fascinating kind of prose poetry style in that writing where it's like it's not quite poetry but it's definitely like lyrical prose in parts 
And I think that's a style that I could co-opt mm. into this kind of writing where you get to see these like cyclical effects of family. And I think sometimes maybe poetry is a better way to explore that than trying to just write about it. Yeah. Um, so that's Bridge of Clay by Marcus Zusak. And you're just talking about this, the idea of some sort of cyclical nature or family. Um, you coming from a large family yourself, you have a lot of nieces and nephews. So it could also, there could be a, a, a point in which you explore how you see your own brothers and sisters yep. with their own kids as well. Yeah, definitely. And just exploring how perhaps their own experiences growing up, you know, and what you can see within their relationship with their children and how. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've definitely written poetry about that before. Mm. Like I've 100% written poetry about my siblings as parents. And I think that's the first step into exploring these things. Because I'm understanding who I am through the kind of archived experience to kind of insert the theme um, of, of my siblings. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to my last idea mm. uh, for the Liminal Prize. And for this one, I wrote, I'm going to need to unpack this a little bit. For this idea, it's being able to write makes it easier to be able to live. Ooh, that might be the most poetic thing I've ever heard. Thank you. And in brackets, I just wrote, understand the world. So that's another version of what I mean with it being easier to be able to live. It's like easier to understand the world, which then yeah. makes it easier to live. Uh, what I was thinking about for this idea is kind of what we do here at work at the story factory that idea of being able to um, effectively write and be a creative writer is something that allows you to do two important things as a human being i feel like one it lets you understand the world around you better if you can write about it then you can understand it and it sinks into your head this is my belief i feel like maybe there's like writing that supports this and, and um, journal articles that you could research that supports this. But my gut feeling is that if I'm a good writer, then when I'm writing, I'm able to conceive of things that I wouldn't be able to do if I couldn't write. And a really great example of this is, imagine you see a building being demolished, right? Like maybe it's in a, a city that you used to live in and you're seeing a building get demolished and maybe you visited it before, maybe you have memories about it. If you're not a writer and you see that happening, then is there, I don't know, I'm just kind of speculating. If you see it happening, you might have like a feeling where you're like, that building was important to me, but I can't really explain why. Like I have memories attached there. I remember I went there with this person or I had this thing with it. But if you're a writer and then you were to then write about that experience and you were to create vignettes of all the times that you were in there and explore your perspective and effectively capture what it meant to you after you've written that piece, do you then look at it and read it and share it and feel like you've better explained and justified why it was important to you versus if you just felt the feeling alone? So my feeling like if you're a writer and you write about it and you're able to share it, then is that process something that lets that kind of importance sink in more for you? Because then you've made other people feel the same way about it that you did. Kind of just blew my mind a bit. <laughs> That's a huge compliment. I think you chose a really bad person to have this conversation about. <laughs> this 
Why is that good? I'm, just, I'm very inarticulate. You make me feel a lot of things that I can't, I can't put into words. You are, you are beyond words, Bilal. But I also feel like the whole point of this is I'm bouncing off you because I get too in my head. And then like if all these weird concepts that I'm vaguely trying to talk about aren't refined, then they'll all just live in my head and nothing will happen with them. So mm. the whole point is you're supposed to ground me, which you do all the time, which is why I share with you. I think at it's what you just reminded me of as well, I think is kind of at its core, that is what the work you do at the slam does as well. At the poetry slam? At the poetry slam. When I think about all of the people who have took to the stage, who might not necessarily call themselves poets, but because they have found such accessibility within the art form that, you know, whether it, um, it's good or bad poetry, you could absolutely have a discussion about that. But, but to know, to have heard so many stories as well and to have felt such absolute raw emotions coming from people, mm. for, at least for me, I felt like I've, on some level, I, uh, my understanding of the world grew, even if just by a little bit. Yep. But I can also only imagine for them as well to talk about the experiences that they have, about how much, about how much that has done for them, mm. and, to, and whether to understand the the things they have that they have gone through. I don't know. That's that's just what I think of when you talk about that. Yeah, I hadn't considered it from the perspective of the Poetry Slam, where that's a really tangible example of how when you write and you share your writing, you then are able to understand your world better and help other people understand it. And through that process, because other people have this like shared experience with you now, you're like, yes, this thing happened. It was important to me. It had this effect on me because I've explained it to someone else now. Mm. Um, I said that there was two things that I think writing makes easier to do with being able to live better and one was you can understand the world around you better but the other thing is I this is going to sound so pretentious but I, I 100% feel like in a, in a literal sense um, being able to write well changes your world like I think you are able to change the world by writing like you write and then the world changes and the way that that happens is that you imagine a world different than the one you are living in. And then you create that world from your imagination. And then in practice, you create that world. So if I, want, if I say something about the world that I think needs to be different, my first step is writing that version of the world. If I think it can be a really simple thing, like I want a reality where Australia is more environmentally conscious. And I was to write a short story comparing Australia to New Zealand, for example, which I feel like takes so many steps towards environmental sustainability that Australia could but doesn't. But what if I was to write a reality where Australia is doing that? Then I have a really, really great example or a great scaffold for creating that world. And I share that with other people, so then they share the same vision as I do, and I then have a framework of steps to take to create that new world. And that's for like one example of a thing that you want to change, but you can do this. However, you can do this on a personal sense. If you want to create yourself into a character who reacts to the world and interacts with the world differently than the way that you do. If I believe that you being able to write that 
takes you a step closer to you being able to create that. This is by no means a knock on you or an insult in any way. <laughs> it's simply, this is very much uh, very reminiscent of, of almost what new agey type of, <laughs> of, of thinking. If you yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, I, I totally feel that as well. And I, I think like what I'm trying to explain when I'm talking about this is the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Because the thing, I agree with you. I feel like that feeling of, you know, you want to manifest your own destiny. You want to be able to be like, you know, the secret. Like you imagine the world a certain way and then it like forms around you. That is the opposite of what I mean. I don't think that you creatively write and then it just like lives there out in the universe and then the universe creates things for you. And this isn't a knock on anyone who believes that because, you know, it's not my place to say it all. That's just not what I feel. Mine is the opposite. I feel like I write this and then if I share it and it gets successful, I'm like physically convincing other people to believe in this new world with me. Mm. And then they go out and do physical things like pick up rubbish on the ground to do this like new version of the world. If it is good enough, they will, they will do the thing that is in the story. Mm. Mm. So it's like a handbook of how to be. And I think all good stories or really truly amazing stories are a handbook of how we should either how we should be or how we shouldn't be mm. and how we can understand the world better and operate in the world better. And something that, that, that sparks you into physical action. Yes. Mm. And, and it kind of relates to the first related text I was talking about with John Mulaney's Horse in the Hospital. Like that text is so good because it gives you a really tangible example of how a president should not be. Right? It's like, these are all the things that someone who is in charge of a major superpower should not do. And it does it in a really comical way, does it in a really inspired way and an insightful way. And that text shared with enough people, all of them are like, yeah, that's right. I agree with this. And you don't always have to agree with the text, but the version of that text success is that it highlights the like idiocy of how some people operate. Mm. And I think a good text should be able to do that. But I think this this idea kind of hinges on what those texts are because I feel like it's an opportunity to be able to explore that. Like, do you have... I'm, I'm tra- This is me trying to disprove myself. Do you have any examples of like a story, a poem, a book that you think are really good and then maybe I can test my idea of what I think good writing does against it? Like, what's, do you have any books that you like? This is like, what's your favorite music? And people go, oh my gosh, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I guess the most, re- the most recent stuff I've been reading have been, um, and it's been a while since I've picked up a book, <laughs> um, like Haruki Murakami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the last thing I read from him? Oh, we're not, we're not going to spend some time for me, of me trying to figure <laughs> out what, um, I'm trying, I'm actually trying to think of a text maybe that we both know relatively well to avoid talking about Avatar The Last Airbender again, <laughs> although that would actually fit in this conversation. Yeah, really well. I think the more I think about it, the, the more I am inclined to think that you're right. Because at its core, right, we'll talk about the, the first ever story told, mm. right, was to spark people into doing something. Yep. Or to, 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 to either spark them into doing something, to understand the world a little bit better, or to provide a, a framework in which to live life is yep. the core of stories. Yep. So 
Yeah. And when it comes down to it, like if I was to choose this idea and run with it, I don't necessarily need to be talking about that version of what I'm saying. Mm. Like all those references to, I think if you write well enough, it changes the world. I don't have to put that in. It can just be that other version of what we were saying with, if you're, for example, someone who's performing at the Poetry Slam and you write a good enough poem and share it with enough people and you feel like now you have a better understanding of who you are and, yeah. and, and, and the world. And I think that's enough. And maybe that's better than trying to split the attention between both. Yeah. But I at least wanted to talk about it. And I think it's something I'm still trying to figure out for myself. Like, can people write stuff well enough to change the world? And I got no idea, man. Like, I, 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 maybe the answer is no. <laughs> maybe the answer is no. And maybe the answer is like, depends on what world you're talking about. Is it the world for one person? Because I've definitely read books good enough. That after I've read that book, I'm like, I am now living my life differently because I've read that book. Mm. I know that for a fact. You want to give a recommendation? Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I, whenever I get asked that, I don't want to talk about fiction and, and fantasy because it's like almost not literary enough. But I really, really like... No, don't um, listen to those voices in your head that are... <laughs> I got I, so angry, I almost destroyed my work laptop. <laughs> I really like um, Patrick Rothfuss... Uh, Name of the Wind. I think it's a really, really lovely fantasy book. And I read it at a young enough age that when I was kind of taking it in, it's a, it's a really nice exploration of like the importance of knowledge mm. and how knowledge and, and history and stories kind of informs the way that people live their lives and how like the legends around one individual are a mix between myth and truth mm. and how that kind of changes someone's personality and that here is a version of like what people see and here is the truth of events. Yeah. And I think that he, he just writes about that really, really beautifully. And it made me kind of consider things I hadn't considered before in that regard. So Name of the Wind, um, if you haven't read it, I totally recommend it. Do, do you have one? Do you have a text that you feel like uh, changed you after you experienced it? I don't know change me but i have like bought like the i've actually i've only ever cried reading one book oh can i what is it it's it's the thing is it's not even like necessarily i get i guess i'm being very self-conscious now about <laughs> like i guess most people would not call it good writing but there's something about it just like i've never had a book that just made me cry at yep. the end um there's um the five people you meet in heaven. Oh yeah, M Mitch. Mitch album. Album. I don't know how to pronounce his yeah, surname. Yeah. yeah, that that book hundred percent made me cry. Yeah, and I have to. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily changed me, but to have had a book make me feel so much emotions. Yeah, <laughs> I think like that book specifically is really interesting because the whole time you're reading it, you're gonna you feel like, or at least for me, I thought there was gonna be this like huge payoff. Mm. I thought there was gonna be like. And here's why we're following this person's story, because really they were a hero, you know? And I think after reading that book without spoilers, part of the reason why it did stick with me is because it was like, it, it sort of highlighted that the main character of the story doesn't always have to be like the main character of the universe mm. in the way that the stories I, I observed or took in as a kid were. Yeah, so like destined to be a hero or something. Yeah, exactly. Like the main character in that story had like made mistakes and lived a really rough life and often without meaning like bad stuff just happened to them because bad stuff happened to them and there was no payoff at the end where it's like and now here is their redemption it's kind of just like he was this exploration of this person 
and yeah, hundred percent made me cry. That scene with like the river near the end. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the part that got me. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a while since I've read it. Maybe it's worth uh, exploring again when it comes to this idea, mm. this idea of because that book, the five people you meet in heaven, is this like archive theme to a T. Mm. Like it's you are literally going through a catalog of important Who people you in your life. Enough, yeah. Yeah, and it's done in a really, really effective way. Okay. Those are my three ideas. Yes. And it's kind of my job now to go through and do multiple things. Um, one, decide whether or not I even want to do this prize. Yes. Um, do. Does it work with the, the kind of schedule that I have? And do I feel passionate about it? Do I feel comfortable enough to do it? And I'm talking through this for anyone else who's feeling the same as I do just so you can at least feel a sense of relatability. Um, do you feel comfortable sharing the, the stories that the text or the um, application is asking of you? And um, do you feel confident being able to execute an idea well enough? But I think especially with that last one, it doesn't matter. Like you can, you can send through like trash to them. It's, it's honestly fine. Cause like, what's the worst that it happened? They, you just don't hear from them. And then you try again next time. So it's me partially trying to convince myself to do it, but we will see what happens. I feel like I, after this conversation, have a really, really good sense of each of these three ideas. And I'm kind of vaguely veering towards that last one, mm. that like idea of um, exploring how writing makes it easier to live through the lens of the poetry slam. Yeah. Because I think when it comes to perspective, the only people who can write that story in that um, sphere and from that perspective are like me you like the organizers of the poetry slam and people who have been going there often and that means that I'm like in a position where I'm telling the story other people might not be so that maybe that puts me on a stronger standing for the competition absolutely do you have any final thoughts um no just that it's great to be in the same room with you again as always you. Kevin likewise you have a lovely voice um, you have a lovely face you have, uh, a you have a lovely night. You, you have a lovely night. And I'll see you next time. See you next time.